Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio. Your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's hosts Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. Welcome to Season 19, Episode 16, powered by Huddle Analysis, offering your largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide, and Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level at JuniorProspectHockeyLeague.com. We are going to dedicate this show to the memory of Glenn Cochran, longtime NHL player for the Philadelphia Flyers and longtime scout for the Anaheim Ducks, who had passed away recently. A great guy, um, one of our favorite people in the industry. Uh, his nickname was Chewy, and I think he made Chewbacca look a little small, and he used to laugh at that all the time. So uh, condolences to all his friends and family and one of his really good friends in the scouting community and Jim Sandlack. So we're thinking about them today. Um, right off the hop, um, we're happy to bring in Ross Mahoney's the assistant general manager for the Washington Capitals. But today we're going to talk about the Western Canada Professional Scouts Foundation. And Ross is a one of the members on the board. And last year, they had a fantastic uh, foundation banquet uh, roasting Ron McLean. It was hysterical. Um, great um, work by all involved. And this upcoming summer on uh, Monday, July 29th, they're going to have another banquet where the foundation is actually going to honor 45 scouts based uh, in Western Canada, or from Western Canada. So we're going to go back to the pioneers, to the um, modern era, uh, to the early era, and then to the modern era. So it's going to be a large group of, of scouts that are going to be honored uh, at this banquet. And Ross, thank you very much for taking the time to talk about the foundation and talk a little bit right off the top about the the reasoning for building the Western Canada Professional Hockey Scouts Foundation and why the group of you all came together in Western Canada to do something for, you know, the scouts that came before you. Um, and then obviously the era um, that you're in and then, you know, the next generation moving forward and what the foundation is really all about. Yeah. Uh, thanks very much for, for having me uh, on the show. Um, yeah, this this came about with uh, scouts really just trying to uh, keep memory of some of these icons of the scouting community. You know, especially the the Barry Frasers and the Bart Bradleys and the Patty Janelles and and groups like that. And it was like, what can we do to to be able to uh, to honor those scouts and you know to kind of keep their memories alive? Um, and so it was like, let's uh, let's come up with a wall of honor and recognize, like I said, the contributions that. They made not only to the NHL or the junior teams they were involved with, but also probably the contributions they made in the communities that they that they lived in and, and the game of uh, of hockey. And so that was sort of the original plan. Um, and then it was like, well, where are we going to do this? And uh, we had one of the guys had a connection with some people in Okotoks, Alberta, and uh, you know we came up with uh, with the plan to uh, put up a public display that would honor these scouts. Like I said, like a wall of honor. Uh, in the Okotoks rink. So that was really, uh, you know, we're very fortunate to be, have this relationship with uh, with Okotoks and be able to have that display there. Uh, I think the vision was, you know, all of us were so fortunate to be able to be involved in the game. And the game has been great to us. It's been unbelievable. And, uh, you know, we want to be able to give back to the communities or to individuals or, uh, you know, charities of, 
people that uh, you know need our support and uh, maybe financial assistance. And so it's kind of twofold, you know, as far as the wall of honor, recognizing the scouts, and and like I said, also to be able to to help individuals or communities, charities, uh, like I said, with the financial assistance or support. One of the great things that I've always found with the scouts and. Um, I've been teased by other media members that you're really just a de facto scout, like, you know, masquerading as a media guy, because I would spend all my time in the corner of the rinks with the scouts. I never sat with the media, even at NHL games. When I had credentials, I'd ask the PR staff staff in Vancouver, can you put me beside right beside the pro scouts? So I would be, it would be all the pro scouts and then me. So it'd be like Mike Penny and Jerry O'Flaherty and Al tour. And so that's how I learned the game is when I first started, I was living in Calgary and Craig Button happened, who's an honoree this year, happened to be the GM. And I was talking to him about uh, how I was covering prospects. He said, the best thing you can learn is how to scout. Well, how do you do that? There's no manual. There's no school. And so he gave me a basic template and I went off to the Calgary Hitman Games. And the first two people that I sat with at the Scouts Media Room was Patty Janelle and Lauren Davis. And they were the first people along with Craig to help me out. And just sort of help, they go, you can sit beside us. Rule number one, just don't talk when the game's on. But you can ask all the questions you want in between whistles or in between periods. And that's how I started to learn the game from the scouting perspective and see things differently and, and understand and respect what they do for a living and how hard the job is. And GMs and people in the industry talk about all the time, it's the lifeblood of hockey. And I just, I'm really happy to see that the scouts are being honored in some way that you know their contributions are being appreciated for what they do because new scouts are only mentored by older scouts that's the only way the next generation learns is the older scouts take them under their wing and even though i had originally started in the media that's how i learned how to scout and i got my first job in scouting from another scout so Tony Gasparini, who worked for L.A., helped me get my job at the USHL as a scout when I first started. So for me, uh, I think this foundation is fan- is fantastic. It's a great idea. And if we don't, as a, cl- as a hockey community, I think, preserve their memory and preserve their stories, then these stories in hockey are lost forever. And it's a part of the industry that really hasn't been um, – delved into in terms of its history and it's very much an oral history so like you have to be able to get these people to tell stories if we don't ross they're lost forever yeah no it's uh like i said earlier uh, these guys are the icons of scouting you know and i think it, you don't want to lose that you know I, I, it's just a way to honor them like i said it's a way to keep their memories um you know and people be able to to see who they worked for and, and how many years they worked and in you know accomplishments that they had either as individuals or for their teams. Well, I find it's really interesting within the scouting community, uh, which people like you find it really quickly, which scouts that have now retired or even still working that are been around for a long time, how they're revered amongst the other scouts um, in terms of their accomplishments, but also their dedication. It's like for a lot of the young people out there, scouting is not a sexy job, particularly the, the amateur side. It's not at all. You have to have to love the game immensely and you got to be a little crazy to do that job, to travel at, you know, all those days being away from your family, not at the greatest facilities, not, you know, drinking bad coffee. 
it's a part of the game and it's what binds the scouts together. It's almost like a, you're a collective suffering and a collective love all at the same time. Yeah, I know you're right. And I mean, I like the idea that you said about having the family support because it, it is uh, it is a lot of time away from home and you have to have a very supportive family, wife and your children. Um, but I mean, it's, I, I think we just, uh, you, you embrace it. You embrace the travel, you embrace uh, you know, the long hours and, I mean, when you get to have a job where it isn't really a job, you know, I've, I've, I don't, I've never heard a scout wake up and, you know, say, oh, I woke up this morning. I don't know why I have to go to work today. You know, I think they just, they love the game of hockey and they're so happy to be involved in it. And, and scouting is a challenge, you know, it's, it's a, it's a real challenge, whether it's on the pro side, the amateur side, and, and it's a challenge though. I, I just think it's, and there's, there's so many good people that are involved in the fraternity it's unbelievable. A hundred percent. And I'm really looking forward to going, going to, uh, to Okotoks in, in July 29th. I think it's going to be a fantastic, uh, event. Um, it's, it's going to be super fun to get together with all the scouts again. And uh, if anybody's interested, uh, you can go to uh, hockeyscoutfoundation.com. Uh, press release is, is out this week about the honorees. There's 45 of them. Uh, we're not, not going to go through all of them um, today, but we certainly are going to talk about them in the upcoming weeks and, and do some profiles of those gentlemen as well, because for me, I think the whole scouting fraternity and the history of scouting is fascinating. And it's an area of a game that just really doesn't get talked much about. It generally, you know, everything is focused on other areas except for the draft. Draft, But then we're so focused on the prospects, the guys that do actually do the job. Um, I think it's about time that those guys get an opportunity to be honored. Um, and they're so very humble that they don't want it but I'm glad that all of you collectively have got together and decided that I think it's time to make sure that these guys are taken care of. Yeah. And then, uh, we had a startup banquet with uh, a roast for Ron McLean last September, which went over really well. And uh, again, having the people there, whether it was, uh, you know, Elliot Friedman or John Shannon and, you know, the, the time they gave us and the support was fantastic. And, and like you said, really looking forward to uh, the banquet coming up on July the 29th. Um, a large number of scouts going that are going to be honored, but you know we thought for this you know kind of inaugural banquet we needed to put in a lot of the scouts, and then you know we'll be able to uh, you know not have as many uh, have a shorter list in the in the future years. But we want to kind of catch up and and uh, really be able to honor a lot of the past and present scouts. Well, Ross, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. And uh, congratulations on the success of the foundation and look forward to seeing it growing further. Yeah, no, we really appreciate uh, your help, Shane. Uh, it's, you've been a, a great uh, contributor here so far to, uh, to the foundation. And like I said, really appreciate it. And uh, thank you very much for uh, allowing me to spend some time with you today. Well, that's Ross Mahoney, Assistant General Manager for the Washington Capitals for the Western Canada Professional Scouts Foundation. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back right after these messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. 
Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We're back and on Hockey Prospect Radio, powered by Huddle Analysis, offering the largest, date, largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're now speaking with Mike McMahon, College Hockey Insider. Read his Substack. We're going to talk about some drafted players in college hockey and one of the guys I want to get your thoughts on, it's he, it's a really interesting case study because this I've actually never seen this happen before. I mean, COVID, you know, caused part of it. But when you look at Matt Capone, who is a draft pick for the Edmonton Oilers, and he's at Merrimack, he's in his third year, but the kid played one year of prep school, didn't play this, the next year because COVID, so didn't play at all, and then came into Merrimack as an eight-year-old freshman and now is in his junior year. And by look, by all accounts, and I've seen him play offensively, he's gifted, very, very gifted. But it's just an interesting where I don't think he's played enough game elite games against tough competition prior to coming into college. And then there's there's limited because you only have you know he's gonna he's probably going to play another year. It's just it's really interesting. It's just an interesting, I guess, path through his hockey career. Because even though if I was looking at Merrimack, I would have recommended, hey, do you want to go play a year in in USHL first before you come into Merrimack? But he didn't, um, and had a bit of a rough you know freshman year, but. I think his, you know, his sophomore year and his junior year has been very, very good offensively. Yeah, I think one of the things they were worried about back three years ago was, you know, they were at a different point as a program too. So, like, if they didn't bring him in when they did, and he goes to the USHL and he kind of pops, well, now they may not get him, right? I think, I think yeah, that's he, there was a little bit of right. concern there from a Merrimack standpoint. Really skilled offensive player. Really, I see, I see him a lot. I, I watch Merrimack play a lot. So he's a really skilled player. Not the biggest guy in the world. Uh, I think he's working on his game away from the puck. He's actually talked to me about that, being better on face-offs, uh, being better as a guy that, that provides support as opposed to a guy who's trying to do everything one-on-one. So uh, that's where he's trying to grow in his game this year. But really, I mean, you see it. When the puck's on a stick, he's a really skilled, skilled player. Yeah, one of the 
things that sometimes it's hard to get through to young players is, and what, I said it to somebody, a player at the World Juniors, and I said, think about how many minutes are in a game, 60 minutes. Then think about how many minutes you play in, re- in a regular game. He goes, oh, about 20. Okay, then how, mu- how much of that 20 minutes do you actually have the puck on your stick? A minute? Minute, 12 seconds max? Yeah. So yeah. you're looking at about, in a 60-minute game, you're looking at 2% of the time you have the puck in your stick. So what are you doing the other 98% of the time to help your team win? He kind of went, oh. And that's, I think, is the same thing that Matt is going through. It's recognizing I can't skill my way through games. I'm going to have to do other things when I don't have the puck, which is the majority of the time, to help my team win. Because otherwise, you have zero chance of playing in the NHL. I mean, absolutely zero. And you have a hard enough time playing in the American League without it. So that's yeah. where uh, I'm really curious to see what he does. And I'm glad that you get to see more than I, than I do, because then I get to you know tap at you on the shoulder and ask some questions. I'd also like to get your thoughts on Sam Limpkin. So Philadelphia draft pick and Quinnipiac. Um, obviously, I really like the program. You know, he's played and, you know, with a with a team that's won, um, he knew he did a couple years. One, two, actually, yeah, two full years at Chicago in the USHL, and now he's in a sophomore season. And I think this is the type of trajectory and player development schedule I like to see players on. Is a basically the polar opposite of, of Matt Capone, who we just talked about, and it's a little bit different because Sam is six two and he's like a hundred and two, almost two hundred pounds, but he's a guy who can play another year and then be really actually prepped to go into the American Hockey League as a 22-year-old. That's what I look at. Yeah, and I think what you see, too, with him is just consistency. You know, he's he's over a point per game, and there's not a lot of games this year where he doesn't have a point. And he's got 11 goals in 21 games, so he's about a half a goal a game. Well, you look at the, the game log, and it's about a goal every other game. It's pretty consistent. It's not like he's loaded up in a stretch where he's got seven goals in three games or something like that. It's pretty consistent that he pretty much gives you a goal every other game and pretty much gives you at least one, maybe more than one point per game. Uh, and it's pretty consistent in every game play this year. So uh, that's that was pretty evident last year, even when he was a freshman, but uh, one of the more consistent players in, in terms of his production. I think that's what makes him so dangerous too, is from Rem Pecknell's standpoint, he knows what he's going to get when he puts him over the boards. Like th- there's not a lot – there's not a much difference between his ceiling and his floor. It's it's pretty much consistent game to game. Yeah, I mean, seventh round pick, Arizona, like that's your seventh round pick. Perfect guy like, to take a flyer on. A hundred percent. I mean, and the fact of the matter is, if he plays any pro games, it's a home run hit. If he plays any pro games in the NHL, I mean, he could have a long career in the American League, but at the rate he's going at, and he if he can play another season like this and come in a pro. And be like 22, um, you know, pushing 23, that I think he has a really good opportunity to play some NHL games, to be a guy who comes out of like almost basically nowhere from a draft standpoint. Like seventh round is is coming out of nowhere. Seventh rounders rarely play. But I just like what he did is like coming out of the academy into the Chicago Steel kind of split some games between New Jersey and Chicago steel and then played the full season was a captain. And then, you know, comes in and plays, you know, with Quinnipiac two years and, and then played in the world juniors last year. Right. So we got that opportunity to play there too. Um, And that says something about, you know, his game as well. So he's, he's an intriguing package because at the end of the day, you ask NHL coaches, what do you want? 
I want a big winger can go up and down and bang a little bit of bodies, go to the greasy areas, get some greasy goals, and be hard to play against and go get pucks. Well, that's his game. That, that's his game. And yeah. he's in a really high-paced system. Like Quinnipiac plays a high-paced game, and they play an aggressive game where we want you to go get the puck. And there's no, like, holding back. Like, there's no prevent defense here. So, for him, I think it's just it'd be easier for him to transition into the American Hockey League and beyond because he plays at a pace that is similar to the pro game. Um, and I think that's, you know, really helpful to all the players, obviously, at Quinnipiac from that standpoint. Uh, lastly, let's talk about Owen McLaughlin. So, he was a another seventh, a seventh round pick, Philadelphia Flyers uh, in North Dakota, played – Sioux City Musketeers in the USHL and now is in, in his sophomore season as well. And talk about what you've seen from him uh, because I like talking about these late round picks that go to college because they're the ones that can play three or four years and come out and get a couple years in the American League. And all of a sudden, you know, you see him playing a couple games in the NHL and like, wait a minute, you have to go back and ask yourself, okay, is this the right developmental system for guys to make it into the NHL? that are late bloomers you might as well just go play college hockey yeah and he's been a bloomer this year too in terms of really stepped up his game as a sophomore took on a different role he's been on fire one of the hottest players in the country for the last couple of weeks and started the second semester he's got eight points in four games uh, and i think four of those have been goals so uh, a guy and, and really it picked up for him like the middle of november you know even the beginning of the year didn't have a point in his first four or five games of the year uh, so most of the 23 points he has this year have come in about 16 17 games uh the last 16 17 games which i really think just means he found another gear and maybe felt a little bit more comfortable like i said it was a little bit of a different role where they wanted him to be more of an offensive driver last year not so much you're a freshman uh, yeah plenty of Point production, even on their back end with guys like Clevin. Uh, I think this year it was, hey, we need you to be a little bit more of an offensive driver. And and really, since he's been put into that role, right around that weekend against Minnesota State, which was like end of October, early November, uh, he's been more than a point per game player and, and a guy that they've really leaned on. A good team, too. Yeah, no, very good team. And and thoughts with, like, really, Limkin and, and McLaughlin as seventh-round picks. And, you know, when you have conversations with these players – you know, I'm sure it's in their mind, like, okay, all the kids that are, you know, higher draft picks are going to get more opportunity. So what do I need to do to, you know, present myself to the, to an, to my NHL club or to potentially other NHL clubs? Cause you only have 50 contracts, right? Like, and you know, what do I need to do? Like, are they cognizant of how those things work? Are they, or are they just solely focused on what they're doing next uh, for next game in college? I think it depends. You know, I think it depends on how closely they talk to the player development people with, with those NHL clubs. I think those conversations happen, you know, pretty often nowadays. They're keeping track of prospects almost on a daily basis. And I think it makes sense. Like, both of these guys are similar, I, I think, in seventh-round picks, late bloomers, guys that if I'm an NHL team and, and I'm taking a pick in the sixth or seventh round, to me, taking a guy like this who you look at and go, you know what? Maybe he's a, a guy we look at as a college free agent in, in two or three years when he's 23, 24, to make sure you have that guy's rights and he's already in your system. Now you don't have to go out and compete against 30 other teams to, to try to get that player. You already have his rights. I think it's smart when teams use those late-round picks on college players where they've got a four-year window to evaluate them, uh, and especially if you're looking at it 
as guys that, hey, we, we think when he's a junior or a senior, he might be one of the top UFAs in that college class that we want to go after. Now we already have him. We just got to, we just got to negotiate with him. We don't have to, to fight against 31 other teams for him. hundred percent. Well, Mike, thank you very much for coming on the show. Once again, great insight. Look forward to speaking to you next week. Sounds good. Thanks. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back right after this. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back empowered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're now speaking with Pat Malloy in our player development segment. And as we continue on through our series, Pat, uh, this week we're going to discuss, and uh, right off the hop, is the four-way mobility. And talk a little bit about you know, what that means in terms of, you know, from a player development standpoint, but also, you know, we may have some listeners who are not familiar with that term. So you may have to explain it a little bit more precisely and what that means when, not only when you're evaluating the player, but more importantly, when you're developing that in a player. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, building on sort of our first couple of weeks, this is sort of the next evolution in terms of when we're developing a skater and, and when a, you know, you're evaluating a skater, one of the things I think we've all heard of is stride. You know, can they skate forwards? Do they have a good stride? Can they skate backwards? Really sort of next evolution concept specifically from the scouting perspective, but then building it into how can we develop it is a player's ability to have four-way mobility, meaning are they a threat skating forward? Can they back up at the pace of play? And do they have lateral mobility that allows them to, to move left, to move right at will and create pockets of time and space for themselves? 
speaking to just four-way mobility, I find that you know you're always going to see uh, Yakovrana type of highlight where he's exploding north south and he's and he's making a highlight reel. But a lot of just four-way mobility and the insignificance of it at the NHL level is just the defenseman being able to see cut correctly in the neutral zone and squeeze off an opponent along the boards. Might not end up in a highlight reel, but it's just as important and significant to the development of a player's base when it comes to their skating. Would you would you agree with that, Pat? Yeah, 100%. I mean, straight line speed is, is great, but if, if you can't manipulate, um, you know, players in their movement with your movement, cut things off before, you know, they become an issue. So you, you talk about the neutral zone, for instance. If you're not creating angles and, and cutting things off with, with lateral movement, you know, and, and you're against a faster opponent, um, you put yourself into races that you don't need to, then then there's an issue there. And so four-way mobility for me, you know, you might not always be the fastest player, but, you know, if you are one that's a well-rounded skater in terms of having access to that mobility, you can end races before they become races. You can cut plays off before they become impactful and dangerous. Uh, you know, that that's really going to be something that, you know, what we find is the best players aren't always the fastest players. They're the most mobile players, and they're the ones that can create time uh, and be fast at the right times. Um, will carry us a whole lot further than just straight speed. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. I'm Shane Malloy with Brad Ellis from HockeyProspect.com. We're powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, leagues worldwide. We're talking about player development with Pat Malloy um, in continuing in our topic, topic about skating, uh, discussing um, edge manipulation, four-way, four-way mobility. Uh, Pat, talk to us a little bit about that edge manipulation because, you know, you can see it in your mind, but try to like sort of break that down uh, when you're trying to teach a player, you know, why, why this matters because they always want to know why. Players like, why should I bother to do this? Um, explain like the, the breakdown of that, you know, mechanically and then the value of, you know, th- that situation in gameplay. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we, we touched on in our first couple of segments about building a foundation. You would never frame a house prior to, to you know, pouring the foundation. And so, you know, you, you see a little bit of it in terms of style, um, stylistically skating coaches. You know, there's, there's quite a bit of talk of edges and edge work at this point. I really believe it's something that comes after your foundational athletic movement. Uh, your posture, your power posture is established that allows you to create speed and quickness. But from an edging perspective, um, you know, understanding obviously inside outside edges and the importance of things like the outside edge. So being able to stably hold your mass on an outside edge um, to create that balance and those balance points and to create thrust and push in a new direction. So we touched on that last week where any push in a new direction uh, needs to be one that creates advantage. Otherwise, it creates disadvantage. And, you know, edging really becomes the traction of, of the motor. So if we've built the foundation and we understand that, you know, that, that flexion accesses our power to be able to move our mass from our quadricep and to create that thrust uh, in our stride, you know, really, if we were to look at edges, it becomes the tires on the road, you know, supporting the powerful engine that we have access to. So, having players recognize, you know, that the bulk of our time is spent on, on inside edges and then recognizing the better we glide on our flats because we're in a balanced posture, 
allows us to glide more efficiency means we've got more energy to create thrust when we need to and, and call upon it. And then from a carrying and holding your outside edge perspective, again, from an efficiency standpoint, from a balance and postural standpoint, you know, getting away from sort of an A-frame stance and being able to, to hold our outside edge and, and, and create a balance and a stability um, you know, that's going to be a difference maker when it comes to, you know, the difference between someone just riding around on their inside edges waiting to get into a sprint sequence versus really recognizing and powering, you know, flex points in our ankles, uh, balance points on our flats, our inside and our outside edges. When we have command of those three, it really gives us the ability to create separation, to create balance stability for things like incidental and deliberate contact that happen within the game and and ultimately you know the more we can create an efficiency in the movements of players um, you know that provides them time to be able to do the things that you know that their their hockey sense and that their talent level allows them to to process. You just mentioned incidental contact points um, and during edge manipulation work, uh, there's a prospect in this draft that's very likely to go in the top 10 named William Eklund. And for my money, he has some of the best edge work and edge manipulation in this entire class. And one of the ways that he, he works in SHL, despite being about 5'9", 180, is due to his escapability of creating fake contact points, exaggerating his posture, and then moving over past the center line to the opposite direction and, and taking the exit route. Uh, can you speak to just the development of, of uh, training edges for players and how they need to, one, create deception, uh, two, go off the center line, and three, then use the outside edge and fall by the inside edge to push off and get the exit route? Is that, is that a massive part now of this, of this skating uh, training and, and what you've been uh, developing in the last couple of years with your players? It's certainly it's certainly part of of what we do. I don't know that it would be you know the main thrust. I'm a little bit more of of the the mind that you know an athletic movement and a sport specific movement starts with our foundational, and this really becomes a chapter um, in 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 the way they move. So recognizing that if we're in an A frame, meaning you know we we skate with our feet just outside. Or, or just extended outside our hip line, um, you know, is that going to allow us mobility or are we, are we handcuffing ourselves because we don't have command of our flat and ability to get to our outside edge to create, as you mentioned, movement across the center line of our body. So for sure, it's, it's recognizing for me that it starts with posture and then identifying that it's really comfortable to stay on an inside edge, but what it does is it handcuffs your ability to, to create uh, weight shift and movement across the midline of your body. And, you know, if you're not creating advantage, it's a disadvantage. And so for sure, it's something that we touch on consistently in terms of how we drill it or how we would develop it. It's it's really going back to gameplay and using the evidence-based approach that, you know, we talked about in the first couple of weeks. Have we made sure that all of the things athletically are in line? Is our strength-to-weight ratio, our, our hip mobility, and, and all the things from an athletic standpoint, are they in line? And then when we diagnose how they sort of use it within gameplay, it's showing them, you know, here's where we want you to be, here's what we'd like to accomplish, and here's where we are, and, and then start to sort of reverse engineer their movement to recognize there's parts of your game that we can open up as new pathways to performance, but getting away from things like a frame or straight leg stance, just outside the center of gravity and just outside your hip line that sort of cripples you and creates sort of a flat skating 
uh, pace to you because you're constantly having to, you know, engage um, your, your quads and engage by sinking your hips and then getting into straight line stuff and, you know, not being able to control your flat and then ultimately use outside edging and escape movement um, is going to limit you. And so that's how we would go to build it um, and implement it in the, in the movement training that we would do with a player. That, uh, fantastic stuff as always. I look forward to speaking to you next week as we continue through our series. Stay safe and look forward to speaking to you next week. Sounds good, guys. Thanks very much. We're going to take a quick break on Hockey Prospect Radio, but we'll be back right after these important messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospects Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. This is our player development segment with Pat Malloy. As we continue with the next topic, and Pat, you led into it, which has worked out perfectly, is the holistic approach to player development. And I find this interesting because I think, I guess from my perspective, because I look at I tend to look at through a business lens of operations is taking being taking bits and pieces from a variety of different disciplines and then models and concepts, and then being able to take all of that and synchronize it into a model that's more effective in terms of developing the person and the player where every aspect of the player to player's, development department is involved along with the training staff and the coaching staff at the NHL and the AHL level, um, as well as, you know, the management staff, your, you know, obviously your mental and mental coaches, your psychologist, everybody is involved in that part of process. And then everybody's has that type of communication that it goes back. So, you know, within a player profile, and I've read some of yours, and that's what I appreciate it because it's more holistic, is that 
there, everybody's communicated and understands what's going on. And it's all towards one player profile. So it's not segmented so that everybody's working on the same document and the same understanding with the same video so that everybody's on the same page. Is that so from your perspective, is that something that you would like to see or what's your, you know, your vision in terms of the holistic approach to player development? Yeah, I mean, we've touched on it, the, the heritage based mindset where a lot of times people that played and were often very good players uh, wind up in player development situations and, 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 you know, they know the game, they know hockey, they know what it took to succeed and, and all of those things. I have the utmost respect in the world for someone that, you know, was able to, to find their way to the, to the top league in the world and, and, and play for any period of time, let one game or a thousand games where I go with it is, is, is the next step to say, you know, development is, is not just passing along experience of, of having played or what may have, or, or may not have worked for a person in development as a player. For me, it's looking at the concepts that everyone learns differently, the science of how someone learns. So for instance, if we have a draft pick and they're very, you know, they learn from a visual standpoint and hammering them with verbal or having them have to process, you know, written word, um, and, and they don't have the ability to process that at a level that allows it to become executionable for them, you know, that, that's an issue. So looking at the ideas that, that there's more than experience in skating and shooting and, and play this way to succeed, it's, it's really digging in and figuring out, number one, how does this person process stress? How does this particular prospect learn? What's the primary driver for the way they learn? Um, if I'm singing a song and they don't learn in the way that I'm singing that song, I'm singing for no reason. So it's ensuring that we put people, you know, with the appropriate levels of understanding to make sure, you know, if this person learns this way, let's make sure we're doing the extra mile. We're going the extra mile to ensure they're learning because we're, we're, we're feeding it to them in a way that they can digest it. Um, including all aspects of your department. So oftentimes, you know, uh, skills, skating, player development coaches, strength and conditioning, performance departments, there's a, there's a lot of forward thinking, but in terms of actionable or execution, you know, recognizing that skating is a byproduct of a lot of what goes on in, in the S&C departments with a club. And so including them in that process so that, it's not while well, you're going to spend time with the skating coach, for instance, it's ensuring that everybody that has a, um, from a kinesiology standpoint, from a motor learning standpoint, from a, a biomechanics standpoint, everybody's pulling the rope and everybody has some input into how do we maximize this athlete's ability to perform. And so from that perspective, you know, that's, that's another area where it can't be segmented blocks within uh, a department. It's, it's gotta be a holistic approach in that, um, you know, it's not a debate on everything, but channels of information coming in for people that are experts in their field uh, is, is certainly a bonus if you've got access to that. And so um, stress and its performance, um, its ability to enhance performance or to decrease performance, uh, how people learn another area, nutrition, and, and obviously it links very closely to strength and conditioning. And I go back to that sort of that, that motor learning concept and that, you know, from a skills perspective, how much of skills has become getting some touches in and um, doing things that, that 
you know, the industry does, but doesn't necessarily change the, um, the motor habit or the motor ability of the person doing those drills. What's the outcome? And I've always been a believer that why are we doing what we're doing if we're just doing it to do it? Or, you know, what's the outcome and what's the evidence to support why we're doing what we're doing? So, you know, if we're, we're putting obstacles on the ice and jumping over them and doing this and, and creating environments where they become really good at, you know, we paint it with the edge brush. Uh, they're, they're getting their edges and they're getting their touches and they're doing things, but none of what they do really translates to any of their ability to perform at the National Hockey League level. My, my question is always, well, why are we doing it? Is there a better way? And so holistically, you know, incorporating all those different data points in terms of how people learn stress management, nutrition, making sure athletically um, the composition of the way their body is put together is, is um, on par with what it needs to be uh, in order to perform at the level, you know, from a tactical standpoint, what areas, you know, as a club, what areas do we see a player having impact within our organization and can we create something in the way that they learn for them to digest to say, you know, here's the way we see you impacting and, and, and helping our club become successful going forward so that they can, you know, have, you know, tangible, visible ways to say, I, I understand I've absorbed because I've seen, and I've, I've been able to digest that and I have a better understanding of how to impact and push the needle to performance. Looking at through a scouting lens, how important do you think it would be to have, you know, your scouts, if you can, um, and particularly maybe your head scouts in those situations and in those meetings. So it helps them um, perhaps understand the viewpoint of these other experts in these areas, but in terms of also helping them identify these things more readily when they are evaluating players out at the rinks. I think it's huge. I mean, organizationally, uh, I can foresee a time when there's a blueprint created. And I, I, I think you'd have hockey people um, within organizations that would tell you that they, they do create a blueprint for their prospects. What that looks like. I mean, at, at, at current it's, you know, it's 31 teams doing things 31 different ways, soon to be 32 teams doing things 32 different ways, but 32 similar ways as well. And so what's that blueprint look like? What is it that your blueprint is? And then, you know, what's the measure for me? It's always, what's the measure? How do we measure if what we're doing is creating result? And so uh, that in itself creates a situation where, you know, coaches have a job, general managers, scouts, everybody's got a job. Um, wh whose job is it to ensure that number one, our blueprint is working and what tangible identifiable ways can we say to one another they're working. And so you know, yeah. I think from a holistic standpoint, including scouting, including your analysts for the organizations that have those, you know, uh, whether it's statistics or analytics, what is it they're looking at? What do we value in our players and then what things are changeable and developable based on our current blueprint and, and our resources to provide versus not? Yeah, absolutely. It's like, what are our KPIs? And yeah, you know, it's the first question. Key performance I indicators. I mean, yes. uh, you know, and that's not language that's generally used in, in, in our industry. Um, you know, as we've talked about. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm really intrigued to see how that continues to develop from that respect. 
But we're going to take a quick break on Hockey Prospect Radio. We'll jump into hour or two right after this break. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM, NHL Network Radio. Now, here's your hosts, Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. It's Hockey Prospect Radio, powered by Fractal Hockey Consulting through an integrated series of best business practices. They design solutions for hockey operations and hockey business operations. We're happy to bring on once again Jason Bukla from the Pro Hockey Group and Sportsnet. We're going to talk about the All-American Top Prospects game that happened this week. And, you know, Jason and I, you and I have attended a lot of these kind of games, whether it be USA's or the CHL's, and, you know, have to take the game with a certain grain of salt uh, because it is a singular game and guys are thrown together. And But there is some things that you can glean some value out of it as well in terms of, just seeing which guys are a little bit more adaptable to that stressful situation. And, you know, almost in some cases, even skating, just trying to like match everybody against each other in terms of, okay, you see somebody in their natural environment, but you see him here against this player that you normally don't see him against, you know, how is there comparables in terms of some of their skating? So those are some of the things that I take away, but I don't, really put a high priority or a high value in terms of waiting when it comes to these types of games. Yeah, I think you're right there. It's uh it's a situation where, you know, you might be, you might be playing on a position. You certainly don't have a lot of synergy with your line mates or your D partner. Uh, the goaltenders uh, sometimes can be exposed just because there's, you know, boss coverages and things like that. But um, as a whole, I think you hit it right on the head, and that is that uh, you know we can we can take a long hard look at their skating stride, and um, we can also look obviously at their compete on and off the puck. I mean, there's no substitute for working hard up and down the ice, and um, you know whether you are a goal scorer and you don't get one yesterday, but uh, but you do all these other things very well. Those things stand out. So um, having said that, you know there there were some players that uh, that had really good days. I thought and. 
and then some other guys that uh, you know were were average by their standard. Um, so there's a fine line there, Shane, that you want to hold them accountable at a certain at the at the appropriate level, I guess, you know, and um, certainly give them credit where it's due, but also uh, not beat them up over over one uh, all star slash prospect game type environment. Hundred percent. Uh, what players for you sort of stood out in terms of some things that they did that you go, hmm. I kind of liked what they did here, or that's something that I'm going to tag and I'm going to watch again in a, you know, in a later viewing or go back and watch and see if that transpired in a, you know, a previous viewing earlier in the season. Well, you know, I'm always fascinated to watch the goaltenders, you know, it's, it's interesting to see them. And, you know, at this, uh, at this event specifically, you know, um, you know, Thatcher Bernstein out of Dubuque, uh, I knew he was a big rig. I know he's a big body and, I wanted to see, you know, at the pace of this game, how he, how he would adapt, and and I thought he did a nice job, uh, you know, for the most part. Like I said, big body, big in the crease, good uh, low net coverage, good feet, kicked out some pucks. I thought that was really good. Um, same with the two U.S. national team development uh, program players or goaltenders. You know, I thought Parsons was was uh, was solid, and uh, you know, again, big body, butterfly, pretty athletic. Um, but on the back end, uh, a couple of guys uh, did stand out uh, occasionally for me. You know, uh, Eric Emery from the U.S. national team. Um, he was interesting. You know, uh, he's he's tall. He's really lean. He's got length. Uh, lots of room for more weight and strength. But um, he had some handles that uh, he had some quick releases to the net and kind of traffic uh, coming up from the top of the zone. And and I thought that was, uh, he can shoot the puck way harder than I thought he could shoot it. So um, that was, that was pretty interesting. Um, you know, the other kid there from the U S program, um, I don't want to butcher, butcher his name. So I apologize in advance, but um, Will Sahan, I don't know if the K is uh, uh, silent or not, but anyways, um, you know, another rangy big body, um, liked his skating, liked how he closed on people, thought his puck play could have been a little bit more crisp. Um, Whipple, John Whipple from the U.S. program, he's starting to morph into one of those guys for me that uh, when games are on the line, he's going to block shots and do a lot of that little heavy lifting that's required uh, late in games. So, um, And then another defenseman, I'm foaming at the mouth here, bear with me, but uh, um, I thought Adam uh, uh, Cleaver from uh, Lincoln, the big rig there, right. I thought he had a really good day. Like He's uh, he's a serviceable guy. He's, he's, there's not a lot of flash to him, but he's a big, strong character and um, I thought he managed the game very well and he certainly had a presence. So that's a bunch of guys from the back end that, uh, that caught my eye, um, you know, up front, if we want to just keep talking here, um, the guy that, uh, really impressed me was, uh, Sasha Boyvere from Muskegon. Right. Yeah. So I was, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I was concerned, more concerned at the beginning of the year about his skating, um, and I wasn't sure if it was a strength issue or a mechanics issue. Uh, there's tons of room for strength on that frame. There's no question about that. But he gets everywhere way quicker now than he did at the beginning of the year. He's um, he's not the prettiest looking guy, but he's getting everywhere on time or ahead of time. And I'll tell you, that kid's got phenomenal puck touch. He's got great hands, uh, sees the ice, makes plays, uh, uh, he's he's on the rise for me, Sasha Boyvere from Muskegon. It's funny you said that because I just actually flashed back and remembered the 2003 CHL top prospects game, and I was 
I was on the bus going to the game. It would, we had a shuttle and I was on with Tyler to Foley. And I just remember like talking about him and talking to him and then watching him. And he wasn't the most fleet of foot either, but he just managed to be where he was supposed to be even ahead of time and understood how to move the puck efficiently and how to skate the game efficiently, you know? And that's where I think Sasha can fall into that mold is sometimes you can get caught up in that straight line speed, but how often do you get to do that in the NHL without being, without being like somebody getting in your way to do that? It's so rare in that respect. So sometimes we, you got to look at it with some context and nuance of like, this is great. He can fly down the ice, but that's not going to happen in the NHL. No. And I mean, so that brings me back to, you know, how we opened up the, the segment here and we were talking about, you know, what, what makes you stand out in a game like this? And, and boy, rare, he, he handled the puck. I think I, you know, I'd have to look at the stats, uh, but to the naked eye, he handled the puck more than anybody else in the game. And um, so not only was he around it on time, but he had it a lot more and, and a lot of good things were happening off his stick. So, um, Trevor Conley out of Tri-City, I mean, this kid's a dynamic, uh, he's a light skilled guy, but he's dynamic and, and crafty. Uh, you can see it. Uh, he was really, um, you could see his mind going to work, especially on the power play, like how he's thinking the game, how he's seeing you know, where to make plays. They had a five on three uh, man advantage in the, in the third period. And, and he was trying his best to feed Eiserman back door to, to rip a puck. Cause as, of course, everybody knows Paul Eiserman. That's what he does. He's a shooter, especially on the power play from the weak side flank. So, um, but Conley's a real creative player. Another guy that stood out though uh, from Waterloo is, uh, and he scored the game winner actually was uh, John Mustard scored the overtimer. Um, He's interesting. Like he, he can dart in and out and find middle lanes. Like when he comes down the wall, he'll find a middle seam and cut to the middle and he's got a quick release to the net. He's, he's an interesting player. I, he, he stood out a lot for me. And so did the, um, uh, Matt Vig Radine from Muskegon for a different reason. I thought he kind of played a, with some presence physically and he was like heavy going to the net and he was around it to, to create distractions. So, the more I sit here and I talk about it, uh, the more impressed I guess I really was by the whole day because I had a lot of really positive takeaways. Uh, I'm I'm happy that you brought up talking about the, the defenseman, the lankier kind of like in some cases may end up they may morph into that insulating defensive defenseman at a pro level because everybody gets so caught up on you know the transporter or the offense defenseman, you know the transition defenseman, but it's great to have those but they also have to be insulated at the NHL level. Unless you're like an absolutely elite defenseman, they got to be insulated and they got to be insulated by the guys that you talked about in this game from the defensive side. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's like piecing together a puzzle, right? You know, different guys are going to have different uh, physical attributes that will complement each other. Other guys are going to be thinking it differently offensively. And, um, you know, that, that's what makes a game like yesterday even or this week even even more difficult, right? Because you're, you know, you got to try and, you know, piece all those things together. And you're not necessarily going to find the guys that uh, complement each other in, in a, you know, in such a short order. But um, I really can they, felt, can they compliment somebody in the future, right? And can they? Well, and that's and that's the that's the trap because um, this game isn't going to tell you that. 
Like yeah. that's why you got to get to the rank. That's why you got to get boots on the ground and and see these guys uh, that get the volume on them in season, not just video. Um, and that is a trap too for video. I you know I, I just for our listeners, you know, when you're seeing a guy. You only see the video follows the puck, Shane. You know, like when yeah. you're breaking down video, video follows the puck. And uh, depending on the uh, the events, uh, the the venue, pardon me, and, and the the wide range of the the camera view, that's why you got to get into ranks and see how you know guys like uh, you know I talked about the Emery kid and you know uh, even Cleaver. Like, how is he going to complement somebody else? You know, like um, you got to see those guys live and, and see how they adapt. So. Um, interesting day, interesting game. I thought Lucas Van Vliet from the U.S. program too. Yeah, he stood out for me periodically. Um, he moves well, made made some real uh, some real nice uh, plays uh, in the offensive zone, like moving pucks to space to continue a play when things broke down. Thought he made some smart plays, if you will. Not you know things in just uh, uh, and a foot inside the offensive blue line. If there was nothing there, he moved it to space where somebody else could skate on it. And, and played a smart game, so right. he's been out as well. Well, Jason, thank you very much for coming on the show. Great insight from the All-American Top Prospects game, and look forward to speaking to you in the future. Thanks, Shane. Talk to you soon, pal. All right, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back right after these messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. It's Hockey Prospect Radio, powered by Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level at JuniorProspectHockeyLeague.com. We're now speaking with Patrick Williams, AHL correspondent for AHL.com and NHL.com. We'll, we're getting back into the saddle to talk about some AHL rookies. And Patrick and I are going to talk about a really unique situation that's developed in Milwaukee, uh, the farm team for the Nashville Predators. Now, not very often, it's quite rare, where you have three rookie forwards 
who all play prominent minutes, play in prominent situations, and are all on pace for potentially 50 points each. Now, Nashville fans, pump the brakes. I know you're, you could be potentially excited about this. These players coming into play next year, I would caution that. I like to see them come back for another year and completely dominate the American Hockey League before you throw them into an NHL situation because two of them are 20, one of them is 19. And we're talking about right off the hop, you know, is Joachim Kemmel, who's 19, and then Zachary Leheru, who's 20, and then Fedor Svechkov, who's also 20, which makes it also really unique is Svechkov is a natural center, and that two-way center who's responsible reminds me a lot, Patrick, of a typical Russian center in the 80s, a guy mm-hmm. who can do everything and is responsible, but not necessarily elite, but really high-end in a lot of areas. Jokub Kemmel yeah. is the sniper and the goal scorer, and Zachary Hillaru is the guy who is going to go all do all the dirty work, going to grind in the corners, go to the net, agitate, draw defenders for him, draw penalties, and then take a lot of penalties. And it's really interesting that each of them have found success in different ways at a really young, very young age. Um, And we've talked about this before. We give, you know, Nashville and Milwaukee a lot of credit for keeping a real stable environment for prospects to grow up in. And I think Nashville has been waiting for a group of young prospect forwards like this for quite some time. Yeah. I mean, really, has there been a more stable, more productive uh, farm system? Um, throughout the last several decades than Milwaukee and Nashville. I mean, pretty much, if you're going to play Nashville, you're going through Milwaukee, right? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, whether you're Pecorine or Roman Yossi or Philip Forsberg, I mean, you go right down the list, pretty much a who's who, right? You know, them, Shea Weber, have come through Milwaukee, have gone through that kind of, that regimen of slow state development. Um, You know, we worked into the Nashville lineup, like they don't rush players and. So now we have the next crop, right? And, you, you, you know, you, you mentioned Sveshkov. And, you know, the first player I, I think of uh, with him is like a Sergei Nemchinov, right? Like, right. Like you said, like that Soviet-type 80s center, like good two-way player. Uh, doesn't do anything maybe spectacularly well. It's not the most flashy player, but, uh, you know, really drives the play. and uh, Reliable. Reliable, right? Like, and... Right. And that can take you a long way in the NHL, right? Like, you know, that's that, a long, that, that you can have a long 12, 15 year career by yeah. being a consistent second line center that can yeah. match up defensively, that can be on a second unit power play, could be on the first unit penalty kill, and you can match up against the other team's top lines and plays a reliable, mistake free game for the most part. Yeah. And so, what I like about this group is like, you know, they're four, five, six in scoring, uh, LaRue, uh, Camel and Svechkov, right, right, one after another, and really for for good measure, you have uh, Igor Fanasev. Uh, he's uh, third, third on the team in scoring, all of twenty two years old. So, like, you know, this is a team that's, uh, I think, a bona fide Calder Cup contender. That it's got a good veteran base, but the but the prospects are driving a lot of that success. I think that's where um, you have to be really encouraged if you're, you're Milwaukee and Nashville, where you know it's not kind of all right, a bunch of 30, 32 year olds that are, you know, kind of uh, doing all the work and then the, the kids are kind of alone for the ride. No, it's like the kids are, are active contributors. And, and and then also, you know, you look at all three players, they're, they're, you know, they're really a little bit of everything, right? Like, so like 
markedly different in terms of like LaRue, like you said, classic agitator. Um, I spoke with Carl Taylor, the head coach there in Milwaukee, and you know, he was very, uh, very upfront about the fact that, yeah, he will, uh, he's a player that will take penalties. Um, He'll cross the line. The price. Yeah, like that that line, uh, and he's finding that line, and that, that's a different line as you go higher up uh, the 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 food chain in terms of you know leaves. Um, he's already got eighty six minutes through half the season, so you know it's still a little bit of a you know uh, something that's developing. But you know, like he made the point, that's why we have a penalty kill. We'll live with those penalties uh, as long as they're penalties of uh, you know trying to make something happen. Uh, you know, not lazy penalties, and you know, I would say his penalties are lazy. And if you have to kill a penalty because he's out there, he's agitating, making things happen, then so be it. And then you have like, uh, you know, uh, uh, Camel, who's just a real good, steady player. What I love about him is they brought him over from uh, Finland last year, uh, middle of March, I'd say, and um, they got him into a good, long playoff run. Like, so he got uh, a month of regular season play down the stretch. Plus, almost two months, they went to the Western Conference Final, Game 6. So, you know, he got, at the age of 18, got a lot of uh, really, really high-end experience. And Played well in the playoffs, season. too. Yeah, like he, he fit in. Like, um, it, w- it wasn't long before you were like, you know, you didn't really think of him as, as the new player uh, on the block anymore. He was just, uh, he, he, looked, he looked every bit the part of a player that had been there all year and you know, had some really good experience. I mean, he's coming from the Finnish system, so like they, they tend to you know uh, turn out um, you know well-rounded players in that sense. So, and then you know, like then I mentioned Sveshkov, right? Like a good kind of like uh, you know uh, two-way uh, player could do a little bit of everything. So um, there's a lot of variety in the Nashville system as well. It's not kind of just one thing. Um, and they're they're well coached. I mean, Carl Taylor. I mean, I think is going to get an NHL head coaching job at some point. Um, you know, I think um, you know he's a guy that really you know he works well with young players, uh, holds them accountable, but also can really relate to them. And um, you know, he's really smart. He's had a ton of success. He came up through the the Dallas system uh, as an assistant. Uh, you know, with, with Texas, uh, had a lot of success there. Got his own. Head coaching job, um, Milwaukee has now put put the years in with that. So, um, yeah, I mean, Milwaukee and Nashville are just kind of at this point, uh, like a well-honed machine. And, um, you know, there's just a lot to love about this. Every year, man, it just feels like three or four players always seem to come up through that system and, uh, you know, you know, always kind of replenish that roster down there in Nashville. Yeah, one of the things I'm really intrigued by now that Barry Trotz is the general manager, because yeah. you know, one obviously he, he was a, a scout for a long time that uh, you know people don't sometimes recognize or realize, but it's also his coaching. You know, when you're when he looks through the coaching lens, there's a patience there of understanding. Okay, the kids the kids are playing really well in the American League. But there's a separation point between the American League and the NHL, and I can't throw them into a situation where they're surviving. They have mm-hmm. to be able to thrive. And so yeah. he can look at that short-term viewpoint of what a coach would look at and then the long-term view from a GM standpoint and try to bridge that time frame and that gap until they're ready. You know, for, for Nashville, like they're fighting for a wild-card spot right now, so they're missing some high-end talent 
but you don't cultivate that unless you give that that group and that talent time to mature and to get better and to be able to experiment and make mistakes without it being catastrophic. Like yes, we talk about you know the American League of being a developmental league to a degree, right? Like it's not all development. Like you are allowed to experiment to a degree. You're allowed to make mistakes to a degree depending on what type of player you are and they're given some leeway, but it's not everything. So talk like just briefly talk about, you know, how you think that's going to impact the prospects moving forward to having uh, a former coach is now the GM. Yeah, that is an interesting question. I mean, like David Poyle was there from, from day one with Nashville and like, you know, you just were used to a certain way of, of things. And, and you mentioned like Barry Trotz has that, that scouting background with the Washington Capitals. Now granted it's a long ways back, but, um, and obviously, you know, a fantastic head coach for, for, you know, better part of a, you know, 20 plus years. And um, now he's in the GM seat. And so it's going to be interesting to sort of, you know, it's going to take a little bit of time, I think, to really see how everything uh, unfolds and settles out. But, uh, you know, I think, you know, very trust. I mean, you're not going to probably find a more well-rounded hockey mind in the business than, than him, just in terms of somebody who can see, you know, really across the entire scope of a team. You know, really, like, like from the NHL roster on down to the AHL roster, you know, whether you're talking pro amateur scouting or, you know, whatever it may be um, in terms of how do you bring all those pieces together, kind of have a coherent um, you know, philosophy across across the board. So, yeah, I'm interested to see him and Scott Nickel there, you know, the GM uh, in, that, in, in Milwaukee assistant GM with Nashville, just, you know, how they kind of like take this next step here, like kind of in the post David Poyle era, you know, as he hands that range, the range over, you know, last summer. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how patient they are because, you know, we, we've talked about this in the past about, you know, going into free agency and, and adding players at the American hockey league, adding players at the NHL. Mm-hmm. And then like, why are you doing it? It's really interesting. I asked the question of why they do it. Like, are you there? Are you trying to win? Um, which is you always want to win, but also are you buying time? Because you have so many young players that are not ready, you got to buy some time for those sure. players to turn into NHL players, and you can't force them in. Every time you see a guy get forced in, it just blows up in their face. So I'm really oh, intrigued. Yeah. I'm really intrigued to see what happens in Nashville. And Patrick, thanks for coming on the show again. Really appreciate it. Um, look forward to speaking to you next week. We're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. Slide over to another channel, but come back in about three or four minutes, and we'll be back right after these important messages. Every play. Every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. 
Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by PowerPlayer Hockey Player Development Software at thepowerplayer.com. We're now speaking with Dr. Kevin Willis, sports psychologist and mental coach, in our regular segments called It's All Mental. Thanks for coming on the show. We always appreciate it. No, I love being here with you guys. Well, we continue to talk about your book, Hockey, Grit, Grind, and Mind. And as we go through the chapters, we are in Chapter 4. It's and Chapter 4 is Purpose. And the topic in this segment is about values. And this topic only because values is such a, <laughs> I guess it would be such a large area to encompass, even within, say, North America or Western Europe. Um, we're not even talking about the rest of the world um, and how people define their values differently and what's important and what's not. Then you're trying to get it into not only your personal values, but then there are the, there's the team values and their culture and then how that interact with not only the team concepts and what the team values, but what your you know, teammates value. So talk a little bit about from that perspective when you're sitting with your clients and discussing this this, this area, and then how does that sort of all play out? So, you know, I know some people might think, you know, when are we going to get to the good stuff? We're going to start talking about real mental toughness stuff. Everything we're talking about is awareness and passion and, and now values. Come on, Kev, this is, come on, let's, let's talk about some really cool stuff. But I think the reason that we sort of go to these foundation areas is because that's who you are, right? Who you are and what you do when sort of on automatic pilot. Now, I will say too, that when it comes to values, there are things that we may value that we find uh, in our journey to become an elite player that we're sort of having to maybe decide, right? So something something I value is, is being put to the test. And so the question is, under that pressure, what do I do? Do I do I go with, you know, what I feel like I should versus who I am? And when we talk about values, that's really what I'm talking about is who are you, right? What's important to you? Values are different. I think we're going to talk about goals a little bit too, but values and goals are a little bit different because goals are things that you do. Values are who you are. And I think that this awareness emphasis, this, um, this self-perception emphasis that we keep talking about is critical for you being able to get the most out of yourself. And so when it comes to values, um, I, I, would, I would venture a guess that most people don't really know what their values are until you sort of sit down and, and sort of give them a list of things that they can choose. And, and that's what I do in the book. You'll see that I, I've got a list of all these different areas of, of these values that I want guys to choose. And, and I want them to choose the top three or four or five values that really stand out to them and then sort of ask themselves, how, how do I honor these values when under pressure? And it's especially hard when we are under social sort of 
approval pressure um, to, to be a certain way, to act a certain way, to say certain things, to do certain things. And, and I'm telling you, when that, those things go against who we are, then that's when we have, that's when we have struggle. That's when we find folks that are, are, are maybe doing things and acting a way that is so uncomfortable. It's so not them. And it's because they never really took the time to, to figure out what was important and what do I want to stand for. Uh, Kevin, can you discuss how values um, help generate uh, purpose-oriented activities, like uh, actions, I guess would be the best word to describe this? Um, Because from my perspective is, um, if if you say purpose is setting your intention, right? Well, intentionality breeds actions, right? Would that be the case? And if so, is is that kind of what you're encompassing here with this discussion? Yeah, 100%. So I, I think a great example would be, so if I value getting along, right, I get along with folks. And, and that's really important to me is that I just get along with everybody. Then when it comes to competing, to winning ugly, to, to you know, playing a, a type of game that you leave nothing on the table. Well, it's, it's hard to get along with everybody when you play with that kind of mindset. And so that's a good example of, of you know, we want our hockey players to compete at a, at a level that j- other players really can't, right? When, when, we come to, when it comes to compete level, and you know, as a scout, that's something I know you, you, you really look at in a player is their ability to battle, their ability to compete. And if you are, and this is not a bad thing, but if you are, are really sort of locked up into other people's feelings and I just want to get along, I, wanna, I, want, I want them to like me and those kinds of things then you're going to struggle to turn on that, that sort of beast compete mode that you need to when you need to. And so that's something that we have to understand in young players that, you know, we've got guys that, that want to get along and don't really want to rock the boat, but now we're asking them to, to, you know, turn into something that they're not sure they can. And so that would be a great area that I would want to slowly work with the player to say, Hey, listen, just because you compete and win that battle, that doesn't mean that, you know, you put that person down. That doesn't mean that they lost. It just meant that you, you know, gave everything that you have to win that battle. And this is something that's going to make you a great hockey player. So that that's, a, I, I think, a decent example of how values impact performance, impact behavior. Um, but there are so many other areas that, you know, you would look at being a good teammate, you know, getting, being coachable, getting along with your teammates, getting, getting along with your coach, stuff like that. There's so many areas that we could look into, but uh, it, it's got to start somewhere. And that's why I think it's part of the foundation stuff that we do in, uh, in hockey grit grind in mind. Tim, glad you both brought that up because it was in a previous conversations on the show, but also just a couple segments ago, we were talking about a Swedish player and um, much of the conversations I have with my Swedish friends is that their society is so very much um, they innate, they're enable people to get along and they talk about their problems in a very civilized manner. Um, their whole society is predicated and built on that, which obviously I admire because they're less likely to be you know violent and unreasonable. But then when you have players are who are, been nurtured in that environment and you put them in a different environment like hockey in a highly stressful situation we'll use example like the under 20 world championships and then they they do a great job through the you know the 
beginning rounds and then they get into the quarterfinals and semifinals and they have difficulty ramping it up. Um, do you yeah. see that, Kevin, in certain situations where the society itself actually impacts part of that? I mean, I don't want to like the Swedes to take away that because I actually admire that about them. But do you think it can impact from that type of mentality when the chips are down and you've got to be perhaps not the nicest person on the planet? Yeah, and I, that's a great example. That's a, that's a, such a good example of sort of the culture sort of promotes a certain value that is of course going to be adopted, you know, where we grow up, we learn from the people around us. And so that's a great example. And I think what the Swedes have done that make them so good is that uh, without losing that, you know, that honorable sort of cultural value is they compartmentalize, right? There, there's a time that I'm a hockey player and there's a time when I'm dad or I'm a friend or whatever. And I think they've done a good job of being able to to play that North American game in competition, but not change who they are to do it. And so when I look at, you know, some of these junior tournaments where they're, they're performing such a high level and they're, and you can even see them, they get a little gritty and a little chippy and, and, you know, on the ice, but it's because they're able to sort of bring on that, that persona that's required for this, you know, fast, intense game. And, but not change who they are. So that's, but you do that through recognition. They have made a deliberate effort to, to help these young players compartmentalize their personal life and their hockey performance. And I think that's why they stand out. Not everybody does that as well. And so I think that's, that's what you see in some of these cultural differences in in the sport. We're going to take a quick break on hockey prospect radio, but we'll be right back. Every play Every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospects Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back in Power by Power Player. 
Hockey Player Development Software at thepowerplayer.com. We're speaking with Dr. Kevin Willis, sports psychologist and mental coach, about his book, Hockey Grit, Grind in Mind, as we continue through the chapters. We're in Chapter 4, which is Purpose. Uh, the subtopic uh, for this segment is Goal. So, Kevin, talk a little bit about when you're sitting with your clients, uh, your hockey players, and you're talking about goals, um, how do you structure that conversation? Because I could see that, especially if it's a younger player, you know, in their teens, maybe even early twenties, how that could go off the rails a little bit only because, you know, as a younger person, you're not nearly as necessarily maybe as, as wise and experienced in life. Um, and you're not quite as focused on certain things that perhaps you need to be, have some level of attention to. So, how does that conversation go when you're trying to, you know, help them establish what their real goals are? Yeah. Well, when they're young, think about it. When you're young and I say, you know, you're, you're new to hockey, you're 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. So much of your life to this point has just been sort of directed, right? Yeah. Be here, go there, do this. Um, and so the need for goals is, is not necessary. But as you sort of hit that 14-year-old, 15-year-old, 16-year-old, if you don't understand that you are now being given the keys to the bus, that you are now giving a chance to drive and, and, and decide where you're going to go and what you're going to be, then goals are critical. You know, and the thing about goals, and this is what's so difficult, it's so frustrating, is that you talk to anybody and you say, so tell me your goals or no, do you set goals? That'll be my question. Do you set goals? And all, all the heads are nodding. Yes, yes, of course I set goals. And I say, so, so what are they? And that's when I can tell that they're figuring it out right there so that they can answer me. Oh, I want to, I want to win the league. I want to, I want to be the best scorer. And, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you, you, you know how important goals are, but you haven't really set them. You're just sort of winging it. And I get that. I get that because this is so obvious. It's one of those things that it's so obvious that we just sort of gloss over it. But I'll be honest with you, goals are critical for reaching, you know, the high levels in this game. If you don't decide where you want to go and make a deliberate plan to get there, then you will just end up on somebody else's bus going to somebody else's destination. And you'll look up one day and you'll say, how the hell did I get here? Right. And I'm, I'm sure you guys see it. You see it in the in the players that you scout all the time, the guys that are taking control over their lives because they've been very specific and, and directive with what their goals are. Uh, and then guys that are just sort of riding it out, seeing where they end up and then complaining about it at the end. You know, as a sports psychologist, I'm sure you have to deal with um, looking at goals from the lens of different athletes at different levels. But if you're to take, let's say Patrick Line, for example, okay, an elite sniper who's had a bit of difficulty. And then you take a player who's just trying to stay up uh, with the team the full time and create uh, an impact on a depth role. Um, can you speak to the difference of how the goal orientation is perceived and how you modify their goal their goals so that they can, they can stay within a threshold, right? So Patrick Laine wants to remain an elite caliber sniper and be a first line star caliber player. So his goal orientation is going to have to be very different than a fourth liner. Who's just happy to make it after coming up from the AHL. Yeah, no, it's a great example. And, and I think what, what I, 
what I work with is, you know, you think about goals, you think about short-term goals, long-term goals, right? That's obvious. That's what we all know, right? These are things I want to accomplish this week. These are things I want to accomplish this season. You know, these are things I want to accomplish in my career. Okay. I get that. But I break them down into to three types of goals. And these are really important distinctions because it, it, it sort of feeds into what you were just talking about. One is outcome goals. You know, outcome goals are things that I want to accomplish. The thing about outcome goals is that they're not always things that you have control over all the variables, right? So if I want to be the best, the leading scorer on my team, say, for instance, then I better have an offensive team. I, have, I better have guys that move the puck well and see me, and I better get into good scoring positions. Okay, that's on me. But if the guys aren't passing, then, you know, I've got an issue. So outcome goals are great. We need to have them. They're really important, but they're not always under our control, not under our control. The second type of goal is what I call a performance goal. Now, these are goals that are under your control. These are things, this is you challenging you. You know, I want to gain 10 pounds. I want to, you know, pick up some speed. I want to be more agile. I want to improve my stick handling, right? These are things that you get to decide what they are. And then it's up to you to improve it. Now you can have coaches and guys that understand what these goals are and continue to push you, but it's you against you. And then the third type of goal is what's called a process goal. And this is real. These are like micro short-term goals and things that you need to do in the moment to be the best player that you can. I talk about it in, in terms of ABCs. ABCs are, are three things that you do really well in a game. And when you, when you do those skills at a high level, you typically play well. So if you have a D man, you know, you want to, you know, get pucks out, swivel, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, quick first pass, right. Things like that jump up into the play. These are very specific skills that when you execute them, right, you'll have a good game. And why these process goals are so important is that when you have these things queued up, ready to go, when you lose focus, when you know emotional control, then your only job is to go straight to those goals and just execute those goals. It's not to figure out what's going on, figure out why so-and-so is doing such and such. It's just to get pucks deep, get shots on net, get in the scoring position, you know, win 50-50s. And I think Understanding these three types of goals, and when you mentioned Patrick Liney, he right now needs to work on performance goals. He needs to sort of get his game back so that he's playing at the level that we know. If he's focused on outcome goals and he's wondering why he's not getting so much ice time, he's wondering why the coach is upset, he's wondering why you know the fans are sort of hard time. Well, those are things he can't control. So you spend a lot of time in that space. Well, you're going to be frustrated for the most part. You know, and that's really fascinating. I'm, I'm glad you brought up that that comparison and that analogy with, you know, from a player, observing a player through that process and being able to recognize it so that whether you're a coach or a manager or you're even a scout, because a lot of scouts will see their prospects play and talk to them. If it's, I think it certainly is very helpful if you can recognize that and say, and just mention it to the player, hey, you know, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? And you recognize, oh, like the, he maybe he's stuck in an outcome goals loop that I can yeah. maybe, you know, re, you know, remind him that, hey, maybe you want to get into like more like performance goal and then even get it, bring it down to a smaller level to make his world even smaller to allow him to focus on it on some process goals. Just I, I think that's a tool that would be really useful for people that are in hockey operations. Just as you 
as another tool to speak to your players about yeah. uh, from that yeah. standpoint. So what are your thoughts on, on that? Well, topic? I mean, you think about when, you know, and hopefully coaches do this, assistant coaches do this and they, you know, they're talking to their guys. What, what are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish this season? What, what are the things that you're working on? Right. So th- those two questions address outcome goals. What are you trying to accomplish this season? And what are you working on? Performance goals. Right. And so those two things, it's important to understand if I've got a, a goalie who wants to be the top GAA in the league, but I've got a defense that is maybe, you know, porous, maybe they're, they're, you know, they're, they're offensive defense so that there are times when they get lit up, then I've got to coach that goalie to, to sort of recognize that there are some challenges to that particular goal, right? Not, not, not of any of his, uh, you know, skill issues, but just the fact the way we put it together. So I, I think that's a great example of how we organize um, teams, organizations to help meet the goals of our players. And, and from an operational standpoint, I think that's that's part of what makes great teams great teams. Well, Kevin, I want to thank you very much for coming on our show. We always appreciate your great insight and to all our guests and Tim Taylor and Mark Yates and Brad Bombardier. I'm Shane Malloy and for Brad Allen, it's another edition of Hockey Prospect Radio and we will see you at the rink. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com.